0: The pimp will slap them for no reason, let him sleep behind them to say, now you're safe, just messing with them emotionally. They will remember the time that that person was wooing them and nice to them before and long for that love and attention. And they'll give them that a while before they beat them up because of what another girl did.
1: Hello. And welcome to Invading the Darkness, stories from the fight against child sex trafficking, featuring Linda Smith, the founder of Shared Hope International. Join Linda as she shares stories from her 23 years of fighting the battle of domestic minor sex trafficking. Our desire is that each episode of Invading the Darkness will help you understand the importance of fighting child sex trafficking, as well as equip you to join in that fight. In this episode, you will hear part two of what does rescue look like for Shared Hope. Linda continues to share the stories of survivors that show us all there is hope in the midst of darkness.
0: Thinking about Shoba and Puja and their lives and their rescue, or telling what was involved, I guess you could say, in their rescues, made me think about another fairly young girl, probably not much different than Shoba was when she got married and had Puja very young. Well, this girl was young, too, and she is in Chosen. You've seen her, but I didn't tell you all her story, and I didn't for many years talk about her story because we had to keep her safe. But I'll tell you the backside of her story. And it started... With some training for law enforcement and uh, child juvenile justice officers, or we call them probation officers to some extent in the adult system, we did trainings for them. They had asked both the police department and the sheriff's department if we would train an officer, John Chapman, that you saw in Chosen, if you watched that film, he was the one that organized these trainings. We would come in and do them, but they would authorize all these levels of the justice system and people to go to these trainings. And then we would provide the training so there didn't have to be any money other than a place at the county commissioner's offices, et cetera, that we could just use. Actually, we used a church for a really big one, and John and the officers and the FBI put it on there. But in one of the larger ones, I think it was the church, we had a lot of the probation officers, child probation officers, and law enforcement too. And so one day I was sitting with Samantha, actually, And we were drafting some of the final first report card areas, had like 80 areas and wanted to bring it down to begin for the first report cards to about 40. And we were struggling with this, and I got a call. And it was something to the extent of she's in the hospital. This was the police. Could you provide a place for her? We'll keep her safe. Put her on a room on a river that was hard to access. They kept her safe, and we put her and her mother both in that place. We didn't know what we were going to do, really. It was kind of, uh, okay. she's a high risk. She has to be moved. Her mother and her children, her little brother and sister, need to be moved. What do we do? Well, I'm not going to go through all of the paths, but law enforcement helped get her out to a place that was safer. We had to make sure they had different phones. We had to remind them that none of them should be talking to anybody because they knew where they lived. And um, the fact is the traffickers knew where Lacey lived. And Lacey was a chatty little kid, but they had come to her house when she'd been uh, rescued before and literally, or she'd escaped or been let out of jail. I mean, it was really an up and down as to whether that was a rescue or she was just taking a rest before she went back out again. And they would come by and get her. Now, this they got her originally. The trafficker had got her when she was uh, between her 12th and 13th birthday and started building relationships at a Starbucks, which was a part of the Safeway in her region. So they were alongside. She'd get grocery after school, and then this 12-year-old would take her little brother and sister, and she had a 10-year-old sister, back to the house, and she'd be responsible for them. They'd started, one man in particular, building a friendship with her. A lot of that story's told and chosen by her, to have kids, youth, know, and families understand how traffickers work as a part of our prevention work. That's free. If you go to the podcast, um, just click on the podcast and Chosen, and we can send you a link to that. But I think that walking back into this, you realize that we were working at a time where most of the states didn't have a law or barely had a law that this was child sex trafficking. Brand new concept being passed In fact, just introduced in her state, wow, how do you protect her when there's no law? What do you do? Well, fortunately, she was young enough. The police could just say, we're snatching her. The only place they had to put her was in jail unless we could find a placement. And that was true at first, now 10 years ago. But you see, Lacey needed a lot of things real fast. Samantha and I, and the fiscal manager, and Melissa, who now is over at National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, looked at each other and was like, what do we do? We've got all of this work to do, and we have a request to protect this child. What do we do? Well, over a period of time, we put together a strategy. We had to protect her. We put out a call asking the other groups around the nation that we work with, that we network with, who would, could be out there and take this volatile, dangerous case and this child that had now been 18 months trafficked pretty violently and pretty aggressively and couldn't even sit still. Her nervous system was so messed up. Then there was another criteria. Cause as I sat with Lacey and that's a name I gave her or we accepted with her because that was a name she thought sounded just fine. Couldn't use her real name. So I sat with her. I said, what do you want? Tell me what you want. I want you to go to somewhere that sounds right. You need to know it. You're not safe. They just about killed you this time as they were beating her up. She had done some things, including drive a 10-year-old away back to where she was safe and then come back. And they just about killed her. That's why she was in the hospital and why the probation officer and the officers had called me is, what do we do with a seriously harmed child? What do we do with her? She leaned towards me. She had a bit of an, well, I don't know how to explain it. But she did think about it. And she said, and I don't think this was flippant. I think she was really responding, honestly. She said, I want a place with windows and curtains where there's sunshine outside. And she said, I want somebody that's like my skin. Or she said something like skin to skin. And that means different things, I know. But I'm pulling that out of my memory And she explained that it needed to be somebody dark like her. Her mother was German, redheaded. Her father was from Ghana originally. Her stepfather was in Iraq. There were people that were black in her family. She wanted that. For some reason, she didn't want somebody redheaded and white, but I didn't care. Because it mattered that she cared, that she felt she looked darker and she associated with that. So we put out a call. This was ours, and we found that one of the people in our network had changed to another group that worked with street kids. They had a place on the East Coast that actually had gang boys and gang girls and pregnancy homes, not exactly defined as trafficking, but we thought, and so did the person we called it, would be a great place to establish one of the first models for child traffic victims. Now, we've been involved in a lot of groups to help establish models. Some of the newest are for little boys, but nobody was quite equipped to know what to do because they hadn't defined even the psychology or the complex trauma that this child had gone through, but they agreed. There was a lot of cost in placing them, and it wasn't that they were making a lot of money, but there's a lot of things that had to happen. And so Shared Hope wrote a $20,000 check spent the night finding all the clothes that they required of any child that was placed there. And in the morning, about 6 o'clock, her probation officer, who was trained, who was helping, got on a plane with her. Now, some would say, well, you just moved her from state to state. I didn't do a thing. Her mother said it was okay, and her probation officer was an officer of the court. And she went with her, risking asking. She just didn't ask. I said, are you sure your husband's going to be okay with you leaving You just, without talking, oh, yeah, you'll be just fine. And sure enough, they had a relationship. She was fine. But she flew with that kid. And then my staff, the people working at Shared Hope, or our team, Melissa, Samantha, Nancy, they flew home. And they greeted her all in a matter of a short number of days this happened. Kind of a blur, right? But she was kept safe two or three days in that protected area. The arrangements were made shopping was done. We kept her busy. The last night, I kept her busy with me buying stuff because I thought if she's buying stuff until the last store closes, that girl's probably going to be okay. One time in the middle of the night, <laughs> uh, she ran out to the parking lot. And I thought, okay, God, I just blew it. I have no idea of how to find her. So I just stood there a moment. She came back in. She had no idea of where she was because remember, she's just a 14 and a half year old little girl by that time. And I looked at her. And it was like, but, you know, you could tell she was afraid. She was fearful of anything because she'd lived in so many lies and was really afraid of them. Could I really, this woman in front of her that worked with her probation officer, could we really keep her safe? No, I wasn't sure if she ran out that door. And she went into that community because I didn't know if she knew that community. She didn't have a phone at that point, but I knew they're pretty easy to grab from another kid or whatever. But we got to the morning, and they got on the plane, and they flew to the East Coast. Not to tell all of her story, but it was a struggle. Because, see, they've their nervous systems are messed up. They are working all night. I hate that work. They're sold all night. They sleep some in the daytime. The pimp will slap them for no reason, let them sleep behind them to say, now you're safe, just messing with them emotionally. They will remember the time that that person was wooing them and nice to them before and long for that love and attention, and they'll give them that a while before they beat them up because of what another girl did. Nothing is normalized to what they used to know as a blue ribbon in sports, and she had all that. She was in track and did all kinds of awesome things as a kid in middle school, got blue ribbons, but now our blue ribbons were bringing home enough money to the pimp, and she never kept any of it, which is always what happens. But you see, some would say, is that a rescue? Never of one person, never from a cry out for asking for kids to be brought to you. Because you see, all over the world, they're there. If you provide safety and you work with other people and you have a long-term plan to even discover their hopes and dreams, you're going to have real rescue. Not going to tell you much more about her story now, but she's living her life, making her own choices, making her own mistakes, and has her own victories. But you see, without that one night, with that probation officer willing to step across a little bit and take a risk, she wouldn't be alive today. So I guess that's rescue. Thank you for
1: listening to Invading the Darkness, stories from the fight against child sex trafficking. If you would like to learn how you can help put an end to child sex trafficking, please visit sharedhope.org slash take action. New episodes of Invading the Darkness are released every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific. If you have enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating as well as a written review. Join us in episode 12 to hear more stories of hope and light.